Um, yeah, so I think, like, we'll just start right now. I'll pull the bot in, I guess, and... Craig! Get over here, Craig! Oh, shoot! Now recording. Hey, 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 there we go. Um, hello, everybody. This is, uh, episode four. Who knows what it will be, actually. Welcome back to the study group podcast. Uh, today you have myself, you have uh, Alex, Anna, Brandon, Hello, Kobe, Hello, and we're graced by Tanya. Hello. Wait, can they see us? No. Well, they could if we wanted them to, but we can see. People like waving at the screen. We can see each other, but they can't see us. I'm not ready for that. <laughs> yeah, neither am I, honestly. Especially no, with the lagginess right now. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, welcome everybody. Um, it's a it's another podcast day. So if we're doing these in sequential order, you'll remember that the last episode we kind of started talking about a lot of politics, effectively, and uh, policy and the Constitution, why all of that stuff is problematic. And, why amendments basically don't take. So uh, we figured it'd be kind of fun to, to delve into what basically sits in the backbone of a lot of those, or why a lot of the things we talked about don't work, which is capitalism on the back end, but more so sort of the individualism that's built up by the existence of capitalism. So I think we're just gonna kind of start with talking about our understanding of individualism, and then it'll just go where it goes. As everybody's aware from last week, this podcast goes where it goes. That's that's the probably the beauty of it. So, um, who wants to start us off? So, individualism, basically social third. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think someone, I think someone said this is a social thirty podcast. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I, I, with confidence, I can tell you that I think that's the place where most people first learn or thought about what capitalism and individualism was that's in true. their life or like in the context, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because I mean, I feel like for me, uh, I've always been like a history geek. Mm-hmm. Like I always like I've always been into history and like bring about like historical things from different places and different parts of the world. <laughs> But it wasn't until I think social 30 that I started paying more attention to like how history and economics kind of blend together. So, so yeah, I think this is going to be an interesting topic. And it's always controversial to talk about like economic systems, especially in a, in a climate like today when a lot of things get politicized pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm excited to, to, to get into this for sure. Um, so I guess we can use as the first question is like, where you stand? Is capitalism and individualism good? bad is there some place in between uh, let's start with brandon oh <laughs> go for it we're calling on people now <laughs> that's fine uh, i don't know I'm, <clears throat> i have a i have a very negative view on individualism and capitalism like i've people some people would probably call me an extremist but i feel like a lot of problems t- these days are caused by people being too individualistic, like that they're so focused on themselves that they can't see the bigger picture. That s- some of these things that may inconvenience them personally are actually helping like everybody in the long run. And I feel people are too too narrow-minded and too too focused on one. Like the right now, right that right now for them to see like the bigger picture. Right. 
I completely agree with Brandon. Um, wait, come back to me. I'm still formulating my very interesting thesis. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I want to go last, so if other people can just jump in and take stuff. Because I don't want to. I don't want to like take chunks of the conversation away. Because I feel like that's what's gonna happen. So, anybody. Okay, you it's fine. No, no I, I, I don't want to like drag on, so I think it'd be worthwhile for someone else. You say dragging, we call it very entertaining conversation. <laughs> we call it, we call it content. Just, just, just give, give your opinion, Tanya. I don't, I don't know. I think that individualism, like does have its place in society when it comes to some things, but at the same time, like, I don't, I don't really know what to say about it. Okay. Does, does anyone else have a formulated opinion as well? <laughs> um, I, I agree with Brandon. I do believe people can be very narrow-minded, but I also think, you know, sometimes it is important to think of yourself, but I do think that in the long run, we should think about the collective you know what's best for everybody and i think some people can go to the extreme to completely negate that and only think about their own benefits <laughs> just <Sure. Jesus. laughs> oh. i'm just trying to think of social 30. <laughs> yeah we're, we're, we're gonna go to some fun okay. places yeah um I, I have my opinion now but okay one sec i have to turn <laughs> kind of lagging okay um okay so personally i think Speaking for myself mostly, I always fall on much of like the the group helping side or the individual side. Like sometimes I always forget to do stuff for myself, and I was I'm I'm too busy with others that I always I feel like I don't serve myself enough. Or I'm on the other side where I'm just thinking for myself too much, and I don't really regard anybody else. Like I feel like it's hard to get the the perfect in between. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, Alex, do you want to give your own opinion? Sure. Um, yeah, I I think I agree more with what the way Kobe put it. I personally think that in society there's a, there is definitely a space for individualism, and I do believe that capitalism is a good starting way. Like I mean, if, I personally think that capitalism is not all that bad. Because I mean, to be honest with you, we wouldn't be talking through this service if it wasn't for capitalism in some way, right? Certainly. Like capitalism has its merits, yeah. but it also has um, its weaknesses. And I think in, in in the way people view it is like we live under a mindset that is like we treat politics and economics systems as like if they were religions. Yes. You know, religions are just by definition things that have established set of beliefs and the very binary yeah exactly it's like either you you believe in all these things or you don't and i think it's it would be more beneficial for society as a whole if we start looking at at those things as more like not necessarily gray areas but things that blend with each other and that you can coexist certain concepts can coexist with different economic systems for example having uh competition but also being able to have healthcare for everyone right or having a public school system but also being able to pay for private school if you want to kind of those things like those to be like very very, very minute like simple examples but yeah. i think there's a place for that yeah i actually kind of agree with all the viewpoints there um this is gonna be interesting because i'm gonna i'm gonna try to talk as factually as i can so i'm actually gonna speak sort of anthropologically and then sort of move to towards a more uh economic perspective so anthropologically speaking if you have any sort of uh, guidance and sort of where human beings started from 
we started off in very small groups where effectively there was no individualism in, in a sense, in the way we have right now, right? You had to look out for the group because there was only so much. And if you didn't look out for the group, you all died, right? And so everyone was essential to the survival of the group as a whole. And that effectively made it an essential, it made it essential for everybody to care about the group, right? If you didn't, um, things got problematic, right? If in a society of 20, if you lost one guy, you've lost the 20th of your workforce or 20th of the guy who does something. You've lost a significant part of it and that's 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 problematic, right? And so we moved from that and we sort of went through the different, we went through feudalism and then we eventually end up in capitalism and we sort of got this big global society now where that's no longer possible. You're a cog in the machine, right? By the, the nature of the way things are right now, you are a cog in the machine. And so, um, it kind of makes sense that individualism would actually kind of stand out more now because one, you're trying to stand out, right? Like people do want to stand out because it's, it, it's important to stand out. Like we talked about it on the re like on the few episodes back about resumes and stuff. And two, you are kind of disposable, right? And so you have to, people want more for themselves. Now, talking about capitalism in a purely economic way, um, the weird thing with it, and Einstein talked about this, so I'm basically just stealing from Einstein here. He said one of the big problems with capitalism, effectively, is that you can't... Capitalism incentivizes or rewards greed. It takes a part of human nature, something that's fundamental to how we are as human beings, right? And it rewards it. That's how we get what we get. So we say, all of you greedy, selfish bastards, go put in time and work to make stuff and we will give you more money and more notoriety and more fame for it, right? And in the process of doing that, you uplift society, right? Mm -hmm. Einstein's theory was to posit that the problem is greed is unstoppable. And so once you enable greed, once you give it a, once you give it life and you incentivize it and make it sort of the foundation of your system, right? You can't take it back. So your system will now be run by the greedy. And because the greedy can't help themselves from being greedy, they'll just keep taking until there's nothing left. And you will never be able to stop them because they will infiltrate every single thing that you can Every system you put in place to stop them, they will continue to take and they will continue to remove until there's nothing left in their way because that's who they are. We've said we reward you for a little bit of greediness, they're going to keep taking, right? You give them an inch, they take a mile. And so Einstein's theory was that inherently capitalism is a system doomed to fail at some point because no matter what set of controls you put in there because of its inherent reward structure you're always going to reach a point where you've incentivized and empowered these greedy people enough to kind of just ruin the system regardless of what controls you have in place what do you guys think of that idea um i mean i i do have something to share but if there, anyone else wants to tackle it first go for it not really right now okay Okay, well, I guess I'll take it. Um, <laughs> well, I, I do agree with you in some points. So I personally don't think, yes, it is true that, that greed, I don't want to say it gets rewarded, but being greedy has a, an inherent benefit in capitalism. So capitalism, I don't think it's like it rewards greed, but greed helps you get rewarded more. I don't know if that makes sense. I get what it is, but you're saying the same thing, effectively. 
Right. Well, it's not exactly the same thing because having something opposite to capitalism doesn't guarantee that you won't have greed interceding. Like greed is something that's inherent to humans. It's irrelevant to how the economic system you. Yeah. Have. A good example would be the the USSR back yeah. in the Cold War years. You know, the original plan was to have a socialist society where everyone will have everything, and at the beginning it was. But what happened? The people governing the country got greedy. So you see that the thing it's like socialism or capitalism incentivizing greed. It's just it's money. It's economics. People want to survive. Mm -hmm. They need to be greedy. To to survive but that's the thing i think the problem with seeing it as like either system rewards greed at different levels it's it's kind of how do i put it i think it's like an old way to think about things because like in reality nowadays we're getting to a point where like being greedy is not sustainable yeah you see because uh that's good that's good way to put it before at the at the beginning when when we talked about capitalism taking over as like one of the like the main economic system uh in north america at the beginning it was looked at like oh we can do it because we have all the resources and we have all the access to these many things right mm -hmm. same with socialism in in the USSR. Yeah. It was like at the beginning, it was like, we can do it because we have access to all these resources. But I think we're getting to a point in like with climate change and like, well, I mean, I, I'm going to pick on climate change as one, one thing, right? It's like, we're, we're getting to a point where like, we're getting out of resources. We cannot afford to have that level of greed anymore. And I think that's really the problem behind it. It's like, how can we take out the greed factor from capitalism so that we can prosper as a society? Yeah, I, I I don't know if anyone else has anything they want to add, but yeah, I I, I agree with that mind um that viewpoint. I actually do. Um, and I do think Einstein might have been a little pessimistic, but I do think he was ultimately right in, in the sense that the limitation of any economic system you make is the human one. Like he talked about, the USSR could have been a utopia, but people got greedy at the top and it fell apart, right? It's the same thing in the sense of capitalism and no matter what system you institute, people will get greedy and it will fall apart. And um, I think the problem, we've kind of reached a weird crossroad. I think what's happening right now is because capitalism incentivizes individualism and innovation and a lot of other great things, but because it incentivizes individualism, we are starting to see individualism sort of in a negative direction. Like, I, I'm not I'm not a sociologist, but I'd say a lot of the things we're seeing from the QAnon stuff to the flat earther stuff all comes from people wanting to be different, right? Hey, look at me, I believe the earth is flat. All 7.8 billion of you are well, stupid, right? Actually, I think it's kind of it's weird. I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I do believe it comes from being different. But the funny thing is, it's being different with a group. Oh, yeah. No one likes to be a flat earther by themselves. <laughs> yeah. Like, you see, like, they like to be, as humans, we like to build communities where we feel comfortable yes. sharing our ideas. Mm. And if you believe that the earth is in the shape of a donut and i believe it too then we share ideas and then we grow that community yes that's true and i, th I think that's the interesting part is like humans like to be individual with community <laughs> yeah it's kind of it's kind of ironic on its own but but i mean ultimately that's what it is like since you're a kid you like yeah it's fun that you like i don't know <laughs> uh blade blades but it's horrible to like it by yourself <laughs> yeah yeah like no one is just playing with their beyblades alone Right. <laughs> or are they? Oh, are they? That's true. I'm sure there are people who do, uh, who just yeah, like sitting there. Well. <laughs> just but, kidding. <laughs> no, I, no <laughs> I, 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 can't, I can't fault anyone for wanting to do that. I, I just think at the end of the day, it's kind of 
Yeah, you're right. I, I remember I talked about, anthropologically speaking, how we all like small groups. I think that's what it is. It's just we've gotten too big, right? And it's it's hard. Like, we've gotten too big as groups of people that it's hard to empathize with different people. And I think that's a big problem we actually do have in a political system. So I think it's a good jumping off point. Is It's actually really, really difficult for people to empathize with people outside of their own sort of small microcosms, right? Because I talk about this about immigrants all the time when people are like anti-immigrant. I'm like, can you imagine putting your shoes in the in in yourself in the shoes of a person who had a life, who had a structure, who had everything else in another country, but due to like poor economic outcomes or maybe if they're refugees, some violent action or something else, they figure that coming to another place would give them better outcomes for not just themselves but their family and their future generations. Right? Imagine putting yourself in those people's shoes. How anti-immigration could you possibly be? Yeah. Right? So I, I mean, go ahead. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you, especially in like that thing about immigration. It's like, again, we, we like to live in echo chambers because it's comfortable because it feels good to be in a place where people share your opinions. But the reality about the world is like there's way too many opinions out there. And I mean, to be realistic, you'll never know every single opinion and point of view. Mm-hmm. But having an open mind can definitely help you understand other people's context better. And I mean, it, and this relates pretty well with capitalism. And this could be like a next topic uh, as we move forward. It's like capitalism and what it represents, represents different things where, depending on where you live. So in the US, it's obviously more open, but it's not exactly like ideal capitalism. You know, if we go back to Adam Smith, well yeah they don't have like, they don't have a free they, market there exactly like the reality is that there's no, not a single country in the world that practice capitalism in its purest form yeah much in the same because way socialism didn't apart, right right the same way that we'll never have a, a society that lives on socialism 100 percent. yeah oh yeah so, absolutely but for example here in, in canada right and it's i think it's a good example because in the u.s you can clearly tell that their market is perhaps they're more open they they have less social security nets but then you compare that to canada and then <laughs> like conservative party here in canada seems pretty left to what the republican party is in the u.s oh certainly oh yeah mm-hmm. right so that, that's kind of like the interesting point is capitalism it means one thing in one country and can mean something completely different in another country. Yeah. I think America is a very special example. Because... <laughs> it's really... Yeah. It I is. Agree. It is. A, like, because they, they pride themselves on their individualism, right? You know, the whole um, rugged South, the whole I, I can't... Um, the whole the gun... Dream. Yes, the American dream. I did it all on my own. I, um, I'm the gun-toting. We resisted the, the horrible British... Like they are the they are the fundamental sort of individualists, right? Yeah. And the, like I talk about this all the time, but there is no there is no such thing as a self-made person. They don't exist, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> right? Anybody who tells you they're self-made is lying to you because yep. they'd have to tell me, right, that they didn't have anybody to take care of them between the days they were born and until they could be self-sufficient, right? They would have just been born and started doing everything on their own, which is impossible if they're a human baby. Oh my god. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagine a baby like... <laughs> what? Are you telling me that you guys couldn't do that without your parents? Oh, wow. <laughs> so lame. Just, just imagine a baby pops out, starts making its own breakfast. 
What's that phrase? Is like dig yourself up by the bootstrap? Yeah. I hate I, the first time I heard that phrase. I thought it was ironic. It is ironic. People are just stupid. Like if you do that, you'll fall. So most people don't know this, but picking up, picking yourself up by the bootstraps. The first time that phrase was used was used ironically. And the whole point was, it's supposed to be impossible. If you attempt yeah. to pick yourself up by the bootstraps, you will fall down. It's literally impossible. Yeah. Like, that's the whole idea. And instead, it became this thing that became this sort of marching anthem for individualism. No, you can't pick your... Have you tried it? Anyone who's like, who is crazy enough, go to, go to where your boots are, stand up, and then try to lift your entire body up with your bootstraps. I want to see someone try it. Please record it. <laughs> you can't. It's it's impossible because no man is an island, right? For every person yeah. who, who succeeds, there are hundreds, like tens to hundreds of people who help them along the way. There's public services, like the schools they went to, the roads they use, the public transit, and everything else, all these public utilities. The, the I mean, we talk about this, so if for, for the civil engineers in the room, we talk about the, the, the wastewater cleaning process and the water clean treatment process in, in, in our city and in around the world. If lead, for instance, wasn't being removed, if lead was still seeping into our water or we were still using leaded fuel or there was a different, uh, there were different contaminants in our water and it wasn't being effectively cleaned out. Like they found, studies have shown that leaded, um, leaded uh, gasoline might actually be the biggest reason why there's a massive IQ drop in like the boomer generation. Oh boy. Yeah. Well, yeah. Very <laughs> interesting. Facebook went okay. Like they, <laughs> they actually like they showed that because what they did was they were trying to look at Flint, Michigan. So they went back and actually did like um like intelligence comparisons, like IQ comparisons, um post and pre um like water crisis over there and it's significant enough i've heard about that yeah. yeah like that's that's a thing so you simply not growing up in an environment like that is a big deal right people people don't play it but you not losing 20 iq points because your water got flooded with lead or some other thing or mercury when you were four years old is huge. You had no hand in that. You didn't have any hand in your water treatment process, right? So to walk around and make claims as to how like self-made you are in that sense is just nonsensical because no one can. No one can make claims to having a hand in all of those things. But people do, right? Confidently. People walk around and say, yeah, look at us. We're self-made. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah. It, it's weird. I, I always find it very funny how the whole like self-made thing. Because <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's. I remember back in uh, well, not back, but I I'm also pretty. I listen a lot to Mexican politics. Uh, well, because if you didn't know, I am from Mexico originally, and it's always very funny. Because uh, our current president. <laughs> A current president, he is from a left-leaning party. But the thing about Mexico is that, like, political parties are complete bullshit. It's not like in Canada or the U.S. where, like, you can tell Democrats are left. And, and it's like Nigeria. Right. Exactly. Like, political parties, they can tell you are left. <laughs> but you're just looking for which one's less corrupt. That's just yeah. <laughs> But um, it's kind of funny because the people protesting this president, they are people who 
not necessarily benefit from the programs they're trying to implement which is like like the president is trying to implement more like left-leaning programs and then these people are like no you're taking away our money and all that stuff and they come from a right-wing political party but the thing is that these people they're mostly rich people or somewhat accommodated people. and there's this in in, in in a country like mexico there's you hear like from rich people or rich accommodated people you hear the phrase poor people are poor because they want to be poor <laughs> Which I'm like, no, dude, they, they don't. <laughs> I can, I, I bet that if, because like the thing is, this people like poor people, and I think this is something that like it's very hard to grasp, even for me. Like, I mean, I, when I lived in Mexico, I wasn't poor and I wasn't rich either, but I was like a good in between. And even for me, it's hard to comprehend how bad it is for poor people. Like, imagine you wake up at 4 a.m. to go to a, a place of work where you get paid less than a dollar mm -hmm. an hour, and then you have to work so hard that when you come back, you need to feed your like you need to have enough money to feed a family of four and you're like well the, the children should work and guess what they do since the age of five or eight they're already doing some sort of manual labor which in real like it passes and like they don't go to school and then they spend their life around the same area it's not because they want to be poor it's just because the system is designed for them to stay that way and it's very hard for them to go from being poor or like lack the resources to be able to live themselves up and try and pick themselves up by the bootstraps but like in a way that actually makes sense <laughs> yeah so so i think it ultimately comes down to that it's like capitalism is it's like it's a system that incentivizes individualism sure and it's good for because of innovation and all those things but you need to have the social safety nets in order to get people to to innovate and share their ideas Right, mm -hmm. it's like uh, it's like how many Einstein's are we losing because of people that don't have the resources? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like how I see it. It's like it, it's lost potential because of the system. I I, I don't agree. know what you guys think. Yeah, like, does anyone else like? I I really want to hear other opinions other than mine and Alex's, just because I think you have you guys have a lot more like uh, probably half just as much insight into this as we do. Okay. <laughs> I do I do agree with Alex. I think he made some interesting points and I'm sorry I think Kobe was gonna talk. <laughs> no. Yeah. So I wanna ask a question then. Why do people who effectively are usually the negative beneficiaries of a whole lot of really bad policies that negatively impact their lives fight like fight tooth and nail for things that don't benefit them at all right like i mean i i i'm trying to look up the data for for wealth distribution in canada and like the top 20 percent of households in canada have like in the past year alone have almost 80 percent of the wealth of the of the country right mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. when you and I, i'm completely okay with those people voting in those interests right it makes sense logically mathematically anyway but why do the bottom 80 percent that are just kind of asked to to to, to get by on the on the the rest of that 20 percent that's left why did they so why are they in support of things that actively benefit the people who are just siphoning more and more off the top of it and basically gets more away from them i do, like why why do, why does this happen i think it's because people are too scared to fight i know personally i wouldn't try to just like then be the hero because it probably end up just backfiring and you lose more than you gain i guess that's a good point there, there is a fear of, yeah. of that of like losing everything yeah people could be scared of change could be scared that things will get worse mm. and they'd rather just stay you know in the same spot yeah i guess the idea is it could get worse right yeah so why why take the mm -hmm. risk but 
I mean, we've seen we've seen economies do well with a capitalistic model, but that has a social safety net. So why is there a decrying of that? Like, I mean, every single time this gets brought up, I guess we get we get into the same sort of arguments at this point. It's become the same thing, at least in, in the general zeitgeist of why don't we look at countries like Norway and Finland and Sweden to some extent, and even Switzerland, who is very different, but kind of similar. And um, yeah, who've basically instituted social safety nets foundationally for all parts of their society, right? But still have capitalism. They have more billion. Norway has more billionaires per capita than the u.s does right they've instituted all these policies but ultimately their economies aren't doing worse why is the fear not to try that like it, it works we've seen that it works so why don't we ever want to do it it's because people don't react to facts the same way they react to stories so yeah you're right the fact is that it does work and you can see it in multiple places and there's multiple case studies that back up the fact that like social safety nets do make a difference but i think in and i think this is more prominent in the united states it's a whole cold war thing i, I mean <laughs> i know it's been quite a bit but i do think that's still pretty prevalent because during the cold war people were fed these stories that and i mean with somewhat justifiable reasons and the story that communism and socialism were bad and look at all the famine in the USSR and look at you know all the bad things that are happening there and that's all because of socialism mm -hmm. right and I think additionally comes back to like the neoliberal movement back in the what is it the 80s 90s uh, right? that's like R Ronald Reagan so yeah. like 80s-ish yeah exactly because I mean that was a huge shift into like what America standed for it went from spending money on like the government spending money and having those sa social safety nets mm -hmm. to take that back and well and basically implement like what it's considered a neoliberal policy right yeah just because it was a good story to tell it was a good story to tell like no we're gonna back away so that we don't turn into the enemy or we don't turn into the bad thing right mm -hmm. and i think that's why like like the 20 percent like what you were talking about like the 20 percent that are rich versus the 80 percent that are not mm -hmm. the 20 percent can buy their vote like they put money into things that will benefit them they don't really need to vote they just put the money where they want things to go sure now as the 80 percent and this is why democracy works in the like should work is for the benefit of the 80 percent mm -hmm. right but the thing about the 80 percent is that they well i guess we uh like to listen to stories more. we like candidates that appeal to some sort of history or story that we heard mm -hmm. not because they have the facts or because they care about us but i think that's why people tend to vote like that mm. i mean i don't know like i think alberta has a good case for that yeah no i agree and uh, yeah. What, what do you guys think? Because I mean, when when were the last like Alberta elections? <laughs> I don't even remember how long ago they were. Weren't they last year? Yeah. Oh my God! It feels like it's been forever. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I guess last year. I mean, I, yeah. I guess Alberta is like a pretty unique thing. But... Yeah, Alberta is a unique case in Canada. Um... Yeah, I guess we can talk about it because um, in a way, it's like. Canada seems to, well, to the outside world, I think it's like this <laughs> more of a socialist United States. <laughs> yeah, like a, a damn so... sock United States. Yeah, but so if that's the idea, and I think Canadians ride on that, right? Like we pride in the, well, in the fact that like we're not like the U.S. because we have healthcare system. <laughs> yeah, actually, I take that back. Not de not dem sock sock dem. I need to make that clear. So democratic socialism and social democracies are two different things. Uh, uh, the easiest way to think about it. Uh, sorry, I had to correct myself there just in case anyone is actually like a political science major is listening to this like, and they get mad. Um, the thing at the <laughs> end is the is the system. The thing that you add on to it at the front is the is the like the thing that changes 
So a democratic socialist system is a socialist system where you add democracy on. A social democracy is a, is a democrat, uh, democratic system inherently where you add socialistic uh, properties on. So yes, we'd be more sock dem than we add dem sock. Just wanted to say that. Yeah. Like that seemed important. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, it is. Um, yeah. So why do you think that in a country like Canada, where like we pride ourselves on on not being like the U.S. and being like, what, what, what was it again? The social democracy. Yes, yeah, a social democracy. Social democracy. Yeah. Why in a province like Alberta, the politics always move to the right? I have a good answer to this, but if anyone else wants to go first, I'm completely happy. Yeah, to I want every points. everyone else to go first. Yes. I wanted to get attacked by the. Can you repeat the question? So why do you think that Alberta, mm -hmm. as a province, tends to behave more towards the right side of the political spectrum in comparison to the rest of Canada? I want to say it's because of the oil and gas industry. So the economic activity in the province? Yes. Yeah. I think it's just because the people, like, if you look at America, like, in each election, each state is, like, always, usually there's not many swing states, but there's, like, usually like certain states that always vote like Republican or Democratic. And that's just because the people there all think a certain way. They're always going to live there and they always occupy that area. So I think it's just in Alberta, we're just too conservative. I don't know why we, I don't know why we like started going this way, but I think we're, it's like at this point, we're too far down that route where we're too far right. So nobody cares about, about us anymore. Like even like, it's like, it's always, everyone always complains that Alberta no, like the political parties don't focus on us. Like they don't, they don't like address our needs. They don't but campaign here at all. I think that's because we always, everybody always votes con conservative here. So the other, the other parties, they don't have, they know that conservatives are going to win anyway. So they don't try to try to win our votes. And then the conservatives, they don't really have to cater to us either because they're going to win us regardless. Right. So we kind of like dig ourselves a hole. Yep. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Like, I think I, that's a really, really good point, actually. Same thing happened. that one time where we voted NDP, didn't we? Yeah, before like this one. Really, oh, like for the really province? Rare. For the provincial thing? Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, post-recession, like, post the, that big, like, the, the big financial crisis, right? So 2008, yeah. when the whole thing fell apart, and they blamed well, the conservative. Didn't it also happen because of the scandal with the premier? Yes, that was part of it. But I think it was just that everything mixed in. People were unhappy because the financial crisis had hit. And then all of a sudden, here was a premier spending money on stuff for our own needs. And that people lost their minds. And they were just like, okay, no, you're out. We don't even care <laughs> for the conservatives anymore. We just want you out because we're suffering and you're not. So, um... <laughs> and then... And also in 2015, we had two two conservative parties, the Wild Rose and the Progressive Conservatives. Yeah, so, so they split the vote. So if you look at like the percentage of people, like more people voted for those two parties than the NDP, mm. but because they were split between the two parties, yeah. the NDP won more. That's why they. That's why they, the UCP exists now. Is because they realized if they kept that up, they were never going to win Alberta again. Because they just they would just split their votes till the end of time, which would be very funny, but. I, I was kind of hoping they were dumb enough to just leave that the way it was forever. Because it'd be, it'd be hilarious if the Conservatives never won Alberta again just because they didn't realize that they could join together. Because that sounds like a Conservative thing to do. Um, I, I'm, I have some answers for this, for that question, for why Alberta is the way Alberta is. So, 
For those unfamiliar with Alberta, Alberta is an extraction economy, meaning a lot of its wealth comes inherently from its uh, natural resources in the form of crude oil, natural gas, that kind of stuff. That's 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 what made it what it is, right? That's that's what's put it on the map. It's what grew Canada's wealth, not just Alberta's wealth. It's a big part of what grew Canada's wealth as a whole, right? And that's a thing to be respectful of. Now, here's the problem. Um, for a long time, Albertans were very wealthy, right? Not just as a province, but individually. Because there's just much, there was so much money here. Uh, for a lot, there used to be a joke where it's like a guy would finish high school, go off to the oil rig, and be making $140,000 a year. And that was normal. For people unfamiliar with our province, that was normal, right? There were people with high school degrees who made far more money than most people, like, in other fields did. By doing hard labor, which is respectable, but ultimately, that, that that's what it was. Now, here's the issue. Um, I've talked about this before, but I've talked to, I've talked about the Sovereign Wealth Fund. I talked about this last week. Um, in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, we as Albertans had an opportunity to, to do what's called uh, a Sovereign Wealth Fund. And I talked about this in the previous episode, and it comes up frequently, so I'll talk about Norway. it again. Right. So Norway's Sovereign Wealth Fund, I think, is worth a trillion dollars now, or more than that. Um, something more than that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Right. It, it, it's doing well. Um, we had that idea as well. Actually, weirdly enough, they kind of stole the initial idea from us, even though they started earlier than ours did. Um, so basically, a sovereign wealth fund says, because a sovereign wealth fund basically nationalizes the extraction industry. So that's the difference. In, in Canada, the extraction industry is actually not nationalized. It's kind of quasi-nationalized um, in terms of you have to go through a whole lot of stuff. To, to get stuff out and a lot of companies there's a lot of stuff to deal with internally but in a, effectively it's not in norway on the other hand their extraction industry is completely nationalized meaning that the norwegian government controls all extraction right they hire companies to do it but they own all of it which is an important point but effectively we tried to do a similar thing we basically said okay because oil for those who aren't familiar an oil economy or like basically the way it used to work it, it works in boom booms and busts right so the boom is the high point when the price of oil climbs to the freaking ceiling right and in those times everybody's making a ton of money and then it busts because the price of oil crashes and the economy flattens and things are harder and people are out of work and everything else right Right. What Norway and those um, sovereign wealth funds aimed to do was to remove the bomb, the, the boom and the bust. So instead of having this weird sine wave kind of thing, right, where it's going up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down dramatically, like a, like a, a, a marathon runner's hot heart rate, um, the idea is to stabilize it. So in moments when it's very high, you don't feel any extra, right? So you don't get the boom. But the alternative is in, in periods where the bust happen, you don't feel the bust. You basically just get a level, right? This requires a very good government infrastructure because the government has to be able to monitor when these things are coming on and basically pull money out of the economy when it's getting too far and save it and then realize when it's going too low and put it back up and put inject money back into people's pockets. So it takes a good, good robust economy to do this. 
but the idea is very salient. Now, Alberta attempted to do the same thing. But, for some reason, Albertans were so distrustful of their government, for one, and two, were so selfish, which comes back to our individualistic perspective, that they kept trying to vote in government that would break apart the fund and give them all money, because they were just tired of the boom and the bust. So while Norway and Norwegians were happily going, okay, this is fine, like this is normal, this is a good place to be in, and saving all of their money and holding onto it and putting it in investments, right, so it amounted more into more capital, we said, let's vote in people who will give us, I don't know, I, at some point I think we got, was it $600 or $800? It was like a check for $800 that everybody got, right? And that was it. The fund was dead, yeah. uh, <laughs> right? So yeah. that killed the fund. Everybody got $800. Some people went to buy TVs or whatever else they bought with it. And the boom and bust continued. Now we're at a point where oil is so low and it's looking, at least the future of it in in, in closer look is not looking very positive we're basically never going to go back to the way we were we're not going to have that insane boom again we're basically kind of where we are there's no fallback we didn't save anything we didn't diversify our economy we didn't do anything so now here's this province right that should in in theory be doing very very well right now even in the middle of a recession if it had kept its money but didn't and ultimately is is suffering a lot of pain and the people are suffering a lot of pain right but they're disgruntled at the wrong people so instead of asking wait who squandered all of the sovereign wealth fund we were putting together oh the conservatives did or instead of asking who is putting austerity measures now who is firing 11,000 AHS workers? Who is firing um, frontline workers? Who is reducing the pay for doctors? All of that stuff. Instead of asking those questions, Albertans are dumb enough, for some reason, to believe that it's all the federal government's fault. So everything is Justin Trudeau, right? It's, right. Not, it's not our own local conservative government. It's not a provincial government that's doing the thing that's wrong. No, 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 no. Like Jason Kenney putting what amounts to austerity measures on the people of this province and basically breaking our backs and trying to elevate the oil companies and his own private buddies at the same time. It's not what's wrong with the province. No, it's not a that, right? It's, 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 it's the federal government. When in reality, sure, the federal government has a role to play. I agree. And I'm not a Justin Trudeau fan by any means, but yeah. It's our law, it's our federal, it's our provincial government, I mean, that's causing, uh, that has caused the majority of our issues, right? But the hard part is communicating that to Albertans. How do I get this across? Because this is, a, like, I'm not, nothing I've said is factually incorrect. I literally just went through the history, and I've just spit, like, just said basically what happened. And I've picked up a bunch of data that I'm looking at on Google as I go along. And that's it. That's all I've said so far. Why is that so hard to parse to the Albertan people? Like, why can't I do that? Like, why Why is? Why would that basically be impossible to get across to the people of Alberta? I feel like it's because people are, are nostalgic of the good old days, you know? <laughs> but I, I do think, and that's the main reason, like, why us as young voters and young people, we, we don't see it like that. Because we didn't really live through the booms and the boss. We just came here and it was already pretty cheap. 
Fair enough. Yep, that's true. And as as potential, well, I mean, for us in our case, as almost almost graduated students mm-hmm. um, that are about to start the, the workforce, we don't see a province like Alberta necessarily as attractive as it should be, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know about you guys. No, I, I feel the same way. I, I've been giving quite a bit of thought recently, but do you see yourself as a young professional developing a solid career here in Alberta and never no. move out? Definitely not. Not anymore anyway. Yeah, probably not. No. Exactly. So you see, and, and it's kind of funny because you're not the first group I had this conversation with. Uh, the other day I was talking to some other friends and we were talking about this, exactly, like job hunting and all this stuff. And we were all talking about the same things. Like it's turning into a place where people don't want to stay and work. And in the long run, that's going to be even more detrimental for the economy, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, if only all people are staying here, then who's going to pick up the slack? <laughs> you see, and you, exactly. And it's, it's just just bad in the long run and i don't know about you guys but i personally like i mean even though the winter is terrible <laughs> yeah i think calgary like if you look at it as like a city mm-hmm. it's a good place to live it's an incredible city i love this city like it's not expensive it's somewhat it has a, some sort of like sing to it like there's a life to it mm-hmm. even though it's not like wow it's not freaking uh i don't know what's a good city to compare in uh, vienna or like Vancouver yeah exactly or... it's not like it's yeah. not vancouver it's not seattle it's not san francisco it's yeah. not like any big city that you can think of yeah for sure there's a city that it's like medium-sized enough that you can still have an affordable house grow a family and some sort of like move forward in life the only problem is that there's no path to move forward yeah <laughs> and ultimately that's where it, it boils down the effects mm-hmm. the economy has in the people mm-hmm. right because it comes back to what we were talking for a little bit it doesn't matter how the economy affects other people it matters how the economy is affecting you yes exactly so you wouldn't never vote like realistically speaking if, even if you're the maybe if you're the most empathic person in the world but most people are but what i'm trying to say is that even if you empathize with um your neighbor you probably will always vote for what is best for you certainly right yeah of course but here's the thing do you really know what's best for you or are you just listening to whatever they tell you is best for you yeah and i think that's a tricky part it's like being able to discern that information yeah because i mean i don't know about here but like let's say we have elections tomorrow right mm-hmm. like let's say the the alberta election are happening tomorrow yeah would you vote for the ucp or would you not oh god no i said this i will never vote for a conservative party in alberta ever again after what they did to the wealth fund they they will never get my vote just inherently i i'm not and i'm one i feel like i'm a pretty measured voter like i do a lot of research about my voting but they they've lost me as a voter for forever for doing that one action they've ruined the future of the province and i don't see how we come back so for that they don't get it anymore they don't even get a chance at it so yeah that's my opinion <laughs> that's yeah that's that's me that's fair yeah i do everyone else i would probably not vote for conservatives just because i don't like them <laughs> yeah that's fair Kobe, Brandon, Tiny. Um, I would agree with you guys on that one. I, I, I would, I wouldn't. I'd have to see. It's, 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 for me, it's not like a very easy thing to just snap my fingers and just say I'm voting for one thing or another. I always like do research a couple months before the election, anyway. So that's usually what sways my opinion. What policies, that's actually a good question, um, sort of off the path of that, what policies tend to sway you? Because I I, um, I have another thing that I want to jump to afterwards that actually will involve Tanya because it's kind of interesting for those of us science nerds um, who still read journals. But um, uh, I... <laughs> 
Because, yeah, there was something kind of eventful that happened yesterday with science journals. But uh, we'll t- I want to continue on to Kobe. What policies are you looking for when you say you, you could switch like or you you would have to, to look at it um, uh, sort of case by case? Like what policies are you looking at? Well, I, I kind of see like, is you know how usually parties like the best, not the best way, but they'll usually post their platform online and then you can just kind of like browse through their website and just see what they're focusing on certainly i i, I kind of see like what they're focusing on and I, i feel like if what they post is not very relevant or i i personally believe that it's not like important to us and it won't help our issues in the future i feel like that kind of, that's the way to really lose my vote like if you're focusing too much on issues that I don't personally believe will help us or it's not a right direction to go in. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's totally fair. I think that's a, that's a good way to um, analyze it. Like, every, I think everyone's vote is kind of a personal thing in that way. Um, How do you guys kind of determine who you vote for? I, I, do, I do a similar thing, but I think it all just comes down to like... Um, It comes down to, I, I almost will never agree with Republican or conservative policies on, on the way the world should work. Just inherently, like, I have a very different worldview, right? I believe in social safety nets. For generally, I, and I've read the past three conservative policy plans, either they're unrealistic about the way they want to approach social safety nets or they disregard them entirely. If you do that, you're, you don't, you basically get a massive chunk off. Like if I'm grading you, you're, you're already moving towards a C, right? If your economic policy hurts people more than it hurts businesses, then I automatically will tend to disagree with you. Because I care about people. I don't actually give a shit what happens to Amazon or whatever, right? Like that's irrelevant to me. It, it means nothing. Those companies can take the hit. They can. And we can force them to not transfer those hits to the people. We just don't do it because our governments are silly, right? That's what the government's there for. The government's supposed to say, uh, we talk about this with oil and gas all the time. So in my energy management class where the government will hit a company for, for dumping or for flaring methane. And instead of the company taking the hit for the fine they just took, they'll just increase the cost on the, on the consumer, right? That's wrong. They did something wrong. They got caught. They got fined. And instead of saying, oh, our bad. Okay, we take it off the hit. We take the hit off the company. Because they don't want their balance sheet to go down, they send it off to you. And I don't want that. That's wrong. And the government should be able to say, no, you don't get to do that. Like, you don't get to raise the price on this thing after we fine you. The whole point of the fine is for it to be a punishment. If it's not going to be, then it's worthless, right? And so things like that is what I see generally. And like, I've, I've read like uh, conservative viewpoints in the last little while, and they've never been to help people, right? Jason Kenney's platform was never to help the people of Alberta. It was to try to raise up the, the companies in this in this weird trickle down economy thing right oh like the trickle the trickle down effect if you raise the companies then everything will go back to normal first that's not going to happen because oil is just not in that like it's not going to go back there two this has been proven economically like if for anyone who's interested look up the laffer curve this has been proven economically time and time again it doesn't work right for every dollar you give to the common person right you get a you get 60 cents back as a government For every dollar you give to a corporation, you're lucky, right? You're lucky if you get like half a cent of it back. They're never going to give it back to you, right? <laughs> They just won't. That's the way it works. They just won't do it. People spend because that's what we do. We inject money back in the economy because that's who we are. Companies won't do it, right? And so this idea of let's raise the companies up 
to work uh, to to elevate the rest of us doesn't work why don't we elevate all of us and then in the process of that everything else goes up if you lift the floor right the whole structure goes up but if you raise the ceiling and you raise the roof nothing happens on the bottom the bottom is still where it is right yep. and so almost every single conservative economic policy same thing with the republicans in the u.s have no intent on ever raising the floor. It's always about raising the ceiling, right? And that's that's not useful for you and me. And so out of a sense of duty to myself and to people around me, I just say no. But that's basically where I stand in a lot of those. And I don't care, like people say, I'm sure a lot of like the policies people talk about is, um, oh, they want to improve, I don't know, health outcomes for gay people or something. I don't know what the... Whatever those things are, like, oh, they're not important. I'm like, eh, sure, maybe. You can maybe argue it, right? I'm just coming from anything that seeks to improve the quality of life for people, like me and you, is far more important to me than what happens to Exxon tomorrow. Yeah, that's, right? a, that's a good basis to vote off of. What, what do you guys, how do you other guys uh, base your vote off? Like, what wins you to vote for a party? Um, for me... I, I always think of it as, um, I agree with OG in a lot of things in terms of policy, uh, but I also think that a, a mistake some people make when, when voting is that they vote, they treat candidates as if they were their heroes, like the same way you would treat a superhero type thing. Yeah, like fans of politicians. Exactly, like the, yeah. when like, I see a rally, like this is how I envision politics should be. A rally shouldn't be a thing that you go to to cheer your candidate. No. A rally should be a place where you go, you sit down and you ask questions until that person drops dead. Yes. <laughs> you grill them to death. Yeah, exactly. Like you're there to make sure that the candidate that you're voting for and that you, that you want them to win, but you want them to win for the good, right reasons, right? Mm -hmm. Like being a, a premier, being a governor, being a senator, whatever political position is out there, you're not a hero. You're a, you work for everyone else, and I think that's something that like people lose sight of. Like I, I mean, I'm not married to any political ideology. I'll vote depending on how the situation is. So sort of like how COVID does it. Mm -hmm. It's like I look at the situation and be like, okay, right now, what do we need, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I. I don't think I'll ever be the type of person who would buy a mega hat. Lawn. Yeah, exactly. Like even if it wasn't something like a mega hat, but like not not a single piece of political propaganda. Like if I in my house, you would never see a poster saying I vote for this person or vote for this person or anything like that. Because I yeah. think that's just stupid. It, it's yeah. not. It defeats the process of electing leaders. Because leaders are not supposed to be idolized. Leaders are supposed to be pressured on, and they're supposed to like you need to work with them to for them to deliver what they're supposed to. Deliver. Liver. Yeah, they're not yeah. leaders. They're servants. They're public servants. That's their job. They're exactly. there to I mean, serve us, not the other way around. Yeah, and, and ultimately it comes down to that. It's like, I mean, sure. I mean, maybe they are leaders in terms of like they are the ones who start things. They make the decisions, yes, but yeah. on behalf but of that's us. That's because we gave them the permission. Yes. <laughs> to make those decisions because the reality is like we cannot be host <laughs> for every single policy that's out there we cannot be having a referendum <laughs> so so i think that's the main thing when it comes to the political process and like choosing who you vote for it's like don't idolize your candidates mm -hmm. it just works backwards for everyone yeah sure if, if you're passionate about voting for your favorite orange looking person <laughs> then, 
go hey, ahead and, and be happy about it. But don't idolize him. Don't think like, oh, he's the smartest man alive. No, the hell he's not. Don't create a cult of personality about around your favorite candidate. I believe yeah. the same thing. I say this, like, people talk about Justin Trudeau all the time. People assume because I'm a leftist. I fucking despise Trudeau half the time, right? Just as much as most people on the right do. But I'm a leftist. Like, I am. That's who I am. And so I, I I criticize him and I greatly criticize any conservative government at the same time, right? Because they don't appeal, they don't attempt to appeal to me. They don't attempt to appeal to people like me. Um, and I think this is important. We talked about this last week. For pe like for anyone in our age group right now, so in the between the, the the eighteen to thirty-four, if you're listening to this, please, by all that is holy, vote. I'm telling you this. You know why it's important? Because regardless of what the outcome is, and I don't care who you vote for, vote for whoever you want, right? But please vote, I'm begging you, because there are statistics that go along with voting. Every time you vote, there's a statistic attached to your vote, right? That tells people who voted and what age range they were in. And every time you do that, you force their hand. Because my bet right now is if I poll people between the ages of 18 and 34, a vast majority of them would basically be close to where I am on the um, on the political spectrum. But no one is ever going to appeal to us if they continue to see that we never vote. Because they'd rather, like, old people vote. That's why they get appealed to. Let's vote and make sure that eventually we are the ones being appealed to. Because if the conservative party has to appeal to me and people like me, oh my God, they have to come down from their freaking thrones, right? They have to change their policy dramatically to appeal to a person like me. And I would love for them to do that. But right now they have no incentive to because the people like me don't vote, right? I just wanted to put, like throw that out there. It's, it's part of the conversation. But like to anyone listening to you guys, please, please vote. It's incredibly important and it's incredibly vital in changing both the face of this province and the democratic process in every single country around the world. Please, I'm begging you. We are the majority voting block right now, right? The millennial voting block and the tail end of Gen Z or the beginning of Gen Z's are the biggest voting block in this country. We run this country if we want to, right? We have the numbers to dictate policy for the next 60 to 70, 80 years. So please, please vote. Because if you do, they have to appeal to us. And if they do, oh my God, things might change. So long as they don't have to, they'll never change a thing. So yeah, that's my public service announcement. And if you don't vote, you still have a right to complain. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. I think you definitely do, one should. But you should vote, definitely do vote. Oh yeah, for sure. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Brandon, what's your kind of decision-making on who you vote for? I would have to agree with OG. Like, like the con I find like conservative values like they just don't resonate with me. They like I don't agree with any of them. So if like the conservative party wants, I'm not never gonna vote conservative party unless they like radically change their their pol their pol political policies. Which at that point they should probably just change the name of the party. <laughs> right. Yeah. What are you guys' opinion on? Because I mean I don't know if you ever had a conversation with someone who's older, but. I've heard this a lot. It's like, oh, but you guys w both left because you're a student. You don't know what the real world is like. Or you don't have to struggle through those things. I hate when people say that. Yeah, but my question I to despise. you is, why, is that a factual? Like, do you really think that you, do you both left because of your, like, because you're a student and you don't know about the real world? Or or is it like out of genuine concern about where things are going? I feel like that's kind of first. Oh, sorry. Go first, please, please. I feel like it's kind of hard to gauge from our perspective 
Because, like, let's say, for example, when you're younger and you're in, like, elementary school, they tell you, oh, wait till you get to middle school. It's going to be so hard. And then middle school, oh, wait, wait till you get to high school. It's going to be, like, way harder. And then blah, 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 university. It's kind of the same thing for, like, oh, wait till you grow up and you have to support yourself. It's, like, kind of the same concept. So it's, like, it's kind of hard to tell if that'll actually be true or not. But I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I think you make a valid point there. Like, I mean, it's hard to gauge. I think you could ask a question. How many people do you know that were true leftists when they were younger or right right wing now or right leaning now? I don't know. I feel like that swings a lot. Like it, it, I don't know any. Don't... So I was Me just neither. curious. <laughs> I don't know anybody who was leftist I, I do, younger, but became right wing. I do believe that there's as you grow older, you are faced with more. I'm gonna call them more individualistic decisions that you need to make. Certainly. <laughs> I mean, it is true that it gets to a point where like if you don't work and then you're losing money to taxes, let's say, because I think that's like. A pretty popular argument against being leftist it's like oh but you want the government to tax your ass sure <laughs> I, i'm down for that but i mean here's my, my take on it i don't think and like I'll, I'll take the immigrant route to this so when i was 15 i moved to canada and i took part of multiple programs that were funded by the government of alberta the government of the city of calgary and private company right mm -hmm. and i will and the experiences i got from those places and the difference it made in my life I, there are things that I will never forget. So I don't think you'll ever catch me saying that I don't believe that social programs will never are a waste of money. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I don't think I'll ever vote against defunding social programs. Mm. So that's why I think that even after I leave high school, university and I go out in the world and fight for... <laughs> For my my uh my money and make a living out of out of it mm -hmm. i don't think i'll ever i'll ever say that i'm against government taxing me because uh sorry i'm i'm against the government defunding social safety net. certainly i mean i always ask this question how many of us here take student loans i do i have i don't i have so, so i do okay yeah so for those of us who do where do we think the money comes from um, are you telling me it doesn't come from <laughs> the tree <laughs> yeah it's taxes Right? Those student loans have allowed us, who basically are like our future is looking good comparatively, even if we even if we don't stay in Alberta, the majority of us are, are, are going to be engineers very, very soon, right? And we're gonna be probably sitting in the top 30%, top 40% like income bracket of this country, right? Quite easily, right? But we only got, like a lot of hopefully. us got, only got, yeah, hopefully, that's, fingers crossed, everything doesn't burn down. Um, but, like, we only got there, or at least we're, we're getting there by the grace of the, these same taxes, right? At least for a few of us, like, student loans are that. That's what that's coming from. So for anybody to go through that system and then come out and go, oh, yes, please don't tax me. What the hell? What do you think the money's coming from? Who do you think pays for your high school? Like, do people think that money comes out of nowhere? Who do you think pays to fix? Our roads in Calgary are such a nightmare. And do you know why they're a nightmare? For anyone who, like, Kobe is thinking might be the only person here who understands them. Like, the constant expansion, expansion and contraction of asphalt, right? Causing constant cracking, as well as the constant use they're exposed to, causes our roads to be heavily damaged because we have insane weather in Calgary, right? But every time I hear that argument that, like, roads here are, are trash, I'm like, you guys. <laughs> I live in a place where roads are trash. Relatively, yes. I've lived in Nigeria. I know I know what it is. And I kind of support your point, too. Yeah. It's like, because the government cares about the roads being nice. Yes. After there's a crack, they send some team to patch it up. Yes. And like, where do people right. think that money comes from? Exactly. I used to live in a place where, like, you see a hole there. <laughs> it's going to be there for, like, five years. And you probably die before you... <laughs> like, it becomes part of your life. It's Dude. There. It's there. <laughs> I, I, when I was in Nigeria, there were roads that were so bad that people started taking the side of the road 
Like, they started making oh, roads on the side because the main road was so bad and so dangerous, it <laughs> would destroy you your car. It was better to actually go on the unpaved side of the road. That's how <laughs> bad it got. I remember I saw this one time that there was a giant hole in front of someone's house. <laughs> and I think they kept calling for the government to come in and fix it and, government fix it, and they wouldn't do it. <laughs> they, I mean, they said it would, but they never did. Yeah. And the guy just gave up and learned how to <laughs> work with asphalt and fix it. Yeah. So, God. It was hilarious, but it was also, I like, mean, pretty disappointing. Do you know here in Alberta, if, if, uh, if a bad bump breaks your car and you have proof of it, you can go to the government and they will pay to fix your car. Like, most people don't know that, but that's a thing. And where's that money coming from? All our taxes. So, I, I, I never understand this argument against taxes. I get it. I actually kind of do. Like, I shouldn't say I don't understand it. People believe that government is inherently inefficient. And so they just hate... I don't think it's people that hate... I, I'm sure there's people that hate taxes just inherently. But I, I think for a lot of people, they just think the government wastes their money right and you know what that's probably true to some extent the government is inefficient but so is every company right companies waste money too just in different ways but well but, but the thing about the government in contrast to a company is that if the company wastes money then it's just the company problem yeah <laughs> the thing about the government is that is that if the government wastes money then we're in big trouble yeah no it's certainly <laughs> but the thing is you can watch everything the government spends money on right Nothing is hidden. People, I think people are just too dumb and too lazy. You can literally see every single dollar that the Alberta government and the federal government has spent this year can be outlined to you. You can literally read through every single dollar and how it's allocated, right? But people still get mad and get like just weirdly annoyed. And I'm like, you realize that you have full access to this stuff, right? Like you can see how your taxes are being spent. I think what we need to do is do what Australia does. So in Australia, when you get your tax return at the end of the year, right, they send you what your taxes were used on individually. So they actually tell you how your money was distributed to all the programs. And I think we maybe should start doing that here. Maybe that'll help. Yeah, it will give more transparency. To yeah, because like I, I know people don't want to read like the 600 page document that tells you how the money was spent in Alberta this year, right? At the end of the year, people don't want to read that because it's annoying. But if you're ever interested, it exists and you can do it. I just don't understand, like, I, I, I'm, and this brings me back to the point of people decrying science and people not believing science. Um, yesterday, and this, this is what I was talking, talking about, what Tanya would, like, kind of be interested, is a bunch of the biggest science journals, like, in the world, right? Basically, um, I think, basically decried Trump. They basically all just, like, they were talking about sort of the anti-science rhetoric. The first time ever. Right? Scientific journals don't get involved in politics, ever. That's just the thing, they don't do it. So for the first time in the existence of journals that have existed since the British Empire was a thing. For the first time ever, yeah, for the first time ever, they published politics, or they talked about politics. That's actually really interesting. Can you send me that? I will. My gosh. That's yeah. That's something else. It was, uh, scientific the American. link will be in the Scientific description American, um, Nature, and a few others. Uh, let me see if I can pull them up right now. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Can you imagine yeah, that? I, I scientists just to like just give their opinions and like, or not just opinions, just like their research and thoughts yeah. on like vigorously <laughs> scientific things. Yeah. So Scientific American, <laughs> The Lancet, Science, New England Journal of Medicine, Nature, all, um, all basically said 
basically Trump's an idiot. Then they the endorse the Joe Biden. For the first, I'm not kidding when I say some of these papers have been around since the British Empire was a thing. Yeah, the Lancet is pretty old. Yeah. So for that to happen, you know that they've been pushed to the ends of their... Because scientists basically just were kind of weird. And just like, no, you don't want to ever get involved in this stuff. Like, scientists are pol political inherently. What you study is political, right? Sometimes it has <laughs> to be. But your process is not, and you try to make sure it's not tainted by that, right? <laughs> and these these journals have tried to do that for as long as they've existed. And for the first time, they're talking about this. And the fact that they are should be sending a pretty big signal to anybody who considers themselves an academic or an intellectual or even just a regular human being, right? That there is something very, very wrong, right? Something yeah, because, has gone awry. Because that's definitely showing bias towards one party. And the thing about science is that, like, it really should not have that in... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, they, it can, like, go ahead. Sorry. Like... Because here's the thing, scientific articles, like, the point of why we have, like, per, uh, like wait, are these, uh, like, these articles, like, peer-reviewed and stuff? I'm guessing so, since they're in their life. Yeah. And they and stuff yeah, yeah, so are. so it's it's more just like like how can peer like the point of peer review is basically to give like original just how do i put it like fact it's it's a state scientific fact. it's it's well fact yeah. as we know it based on the data that we get right basically like it's it's a, it's like basically the like it's part of the social contract between like us as like the public and like the scientific community so just like how far does it need to go before like the public needs to like be like ah oh, that's kind of not what we have to uh what you're looking for when you're looking for articles on like science i will say this much though i've read i read like one or two of the papers and they are they don't they take a side but they take a side in the sense that you would say um a, a thing is a carcinogen based on its um uh increase in certain cell growth right that's kind of yeah. the way they do it so it, it is <laughs> basically just it lists out a bunch of facts it lists out a bunch of studies and it says this is the conclusion Yes. Right. So it, 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 it just generally they don't do it this like this ever, right? And no, so, not at all. Yeah. So I, I, I'm like, and I think that's 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 my issue right now. That's what frustrates me to no end is there is so much good information out there, right? Mm -hmm. But people don't want to look at. It. Okay. So yesterday I was in a GNCTR meeting. For those who don't know, it's a great Northern Concord to Bargain race. And one of the things I was asked to do was research um, the use in, of rubber as an aggregate. So I spent maybe 20 minutes just looking up papers, like scientific journals that have been published on the use of rubber as aggregate, like tire, old tires in recycled, basically recycling old tires to use as aggregate. And I got, I think maybe seven or eight articles and I started doing a, a summarization of them. And I was like, mm -hmm. wait a sec, I can do this because I've read journals all my life. I spend time like, I, I got taught in school how to do this. This is, it doesn't take me very much to do stuff like this, but there's a good chunk of the world that can't, right? That has no understanding. They would not know what I'm reading. Like if I started talking about, oh, concrete doesn't have, generally have tensile strength, a lot of the strength is compressive, but if you add rubber to it, you increase the tensile strength and, and I start talking about the MPAs, like most people don't get what that means, right? Like unless you have some sort of civil engineering background or some sort of like construction background, it'll make absolutely no sense to you. But I think if someone, if you have a science background, you can kind of decipher what the general idea is. Yeah, right? I, can, I can sort of figure it out from there, yeah. So I'm just saddened that this isn't the norm, right? That people can't just, because this is where all the misinformation comes from. 
if all if every single person that had an opinion took their opinion from a peer-reviewed journal article i'd have no problems with the world anymore i think we'd be okay <laughs> right if people back scientific consensus i think we'd be fine but that's not what happens people look up one site of one crazy person saying something and then that's becomes fact that becomes the way the world is i don't remember why i was listening to this but it was about why is it that people hate academics and science versus why they trust someone who is rich more? It was about the difference between academic elitism and economic elitism. When when you talk about academic elitism, you talk about doctors and masters in science and you know all these smart people who spend years in studying and all that stuff. Mm. And then when you talk about economic elitism, well, rich people. Mm -hmm. That's it. Um, for the average population, academic elitists seem more of a dork maybe they look down on the rest of the people that's the general like consensus mm -hmm. and it's harder to achieve for most people like from the perspective of most people they think it's harder to achieve getting a doctor's degree and i mean it is pretty hard to get a phd certainly but they trust economic elitism more because for them is more real realizable and they relate more like for the, the average person it makes more sense for them to say or to imagine themselves being rich than being smart and i mm. think that discourages from being um like access science the way you guys are talking about because i mean when when if you ask someone who didn't finish high school to read a journal I mean, it's pretty hard if you haven't read one before. <laughs> no, that's like fair. it's one of those things. It's not a live read. It's it's hard to get. It's not it a live read. It's eighteen pages right? of jargon most of the time, honestly. Exactly, and if you don't understand it, it's really hard. Mm -hmm. But if you tell them to work hard and and <laughs> and they'll get rich, they'll believe you. That's the difference. It's like it, they they'll trust someone who who has made a name for themselves because they became financially successful mm -hmm. over someone who has science background. Just because they relate more to them, and that's like comes back to the idea that humans like stories. They don't like facts, mm -hmm. right? Because I mean, you don't really have to like a fact. A fact that is what it is. Yeah. Right. But the emotional aspect of the story behind the fact that might have more weight for the person who doesn't really understand how we got the fact. That's true. So I think I think when it comes to that specific point of like scientific knowledge in the general population i think it's essential for scientists to become better at communicating their work true and some yes, are some are some are but it's really hard sometimes though because i mean and I'm, I'm obviously i'm not claiming to be an expert or anything like that but after you spend some time learning about something for for you to dumb it down with a lot of air quotes around it because you don't really have to dumb it down mm -hmm. can be a challenging task because like for you it seems something that's very simple and the fact that you don't see the other person understanding it is like how do you not understand it <laughs> right sure but but I, I do think that's a huge thing it's like it's like people think that science is out to get them even though science is it has no bias science is what it is mm -hmm. but again the the media and the you know the I mean let's talk about it Donald Trump uh, campaign has made it so that science seems kind of like oh they there's always a bias Bias, you know right. climate change is not real because <laughs> science is biased yeah or stuff like that and i mean personally about climate change that's one of the things that infuriates me all the time it's like yeah. hearing someone say that climate change is not real and has no effects i'm like dude come on <laughs> yeah I, I will say this much though okay scientists are human scientists have biases right yeah definitely what we choose to study for instance is biased i had a prop who studied Hox genes, right? And he studied Hox genes because he was really fascinated by um, children and how like they developed in, the, in, in utero, right? And that was his reason for doing that. Mm -hmm. That's a bias. But the idea is science is unbiased in its execution in finding the answers. And that's where the split is. 
So people believe because they are biased, scientists are biased, which is true. They've actually made a, a statement of fact. But if you understand the scientific method and how it works, you'll get a better understanding of why it's kind of, it, it does its best to be unbiased. And that's why peer review also exists, right? Now, I think one of the biggest problems we have is that our science has been tainted by corporate interests. So right now, um, the remember, if, 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 I don't know if you guys remember this, but the tobacco lobby for a while was telling pregnant women that if they smoke, they would have smaller babies. Oh my gosh, I, I do know about that. Yeah. You know what? A lot of that yeah. tobacco companies done so far. Yes. They did a lot of damage, right? And they knew, so this is the funny part. Tobacco companies paid schools, like university researchers, to see if tobacco and the inhalation of smoke was having negative consequences. And you know what? They found negative consequences. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but instead of publishing that, they would publish other sides of the story. So for instance, a scientist comes back to the company that hired them and says, this thing shrinks the size of the fetus. We don't think that's healthy. That seems like a bad thing, right? The tobacco mm -hmm. pub company publishes it as, this, our tobacco brand, shrinks the baby size so that it's much easier for you when you give birth. But like, no. Yeah. What? So the ver the journal that got released in whatever journal, uh, whatever uh, journal it, it is that it comes out in, whatever paper it is, um, will have said, we believe that this thing reduces infant size by this amount. We believe that this is an unhealthy blah, blah, blah. They would have said all of that in there, right? But what gets published by the tobacco company and what they advertise is, your baby will be smaller and thus you'll have an easier birth. But the thing is that, for example, those ex that specific example, it's a, an interesting one, right? Because it's like how did the inform inaccurate information gets out there? Yeah. I think another example is like the anti-vax movement. And I know this is stepping into a, like a bigger subject, but I'm going to stick to the surface of it. Yeah. So the anti-vax movement, the whole thing like uh, vaccines cause autism. Mm -hmm. It's kind of interesting because the person who did the article like the original research yeah which it wasn't really a research it was a very poorly made research yeah it was andrew wakefield yeah i know yeah. <laughs> like it was terrible like sample size too 13. small it like, was 13 they didn't even have like, control like yeah. it was bad like you know <laughs> like i think me and frisier could have done a better job certainly <laughs> i think you i think you would have okay here's the thing with that article that should never have been published in the first place like that's, that's the thing reviews there like they should have caught that yes and like they they even admitted to it publicly that they should, like that to be fair that article should never have been like released mm -hmm. but that's the thing right it like one thing is what you put in the journal paper right mm -hmm. like a journal sort of designed to prevent those things from happening yeah. Oh, yeah but media and social media are not oh yeah definitely right because if i am a doctor who for some reason wants to say that vaccines cause autism and if i go post it on a reddit page called uh QAnon, yeah <laughs> or flat earth society or <laughs> all of these the science and i am pages like science nine pages and i tell them like oh i'm censored by the media publish this and share it around you see that's not filter anymore like in the area area that we live now with social media it's becoming constantly harder to filter out the information and people are don't are not stopping and asking themselves like is this accurate is it peer reviewed mm -hmm. Because a lot of people probably don't know what peer-reviewed means in terms of an article, like like in a scientific paper. What does it mean to be peer-reviewed? Because peer-reviewed doesn't mean that, I don't know, one of us read it and is like, A-OK, -okay, you're great. Yeah. <laughs> 
right? It's not, yeah. um, it's not like someone, like someone who has a doctor, like a PhD, looks at it and it's like, hey, okay. <laughs> it's not like that either. Like, in order to peer review someone, you need to really understand their things and probably even do experiments to prove that what they did is fine. Okay. To, actually, to be fair, you don't have to like, you don't have to like know, you don't have to understand fully the topic of the thing that you're peer reviewing. Uh, kind of interesting, but you have to be able to like, if you are a peer reviewer who doesn't have like the knowledge or like the exact um yeah like basically the exact like field um where like the thing like the the article is using to to like explain then you have to like kind of write that bias is that like i am not um like i'm not in this field but like i'm still able to peer review it like you need to just write that so like people who don't like people who don't actually like do the research are able to peer review it but they also need like have like like the qualifications and they do have like the research and like doctorates to be able to um, determine that mm -hmm. visually sorry <laughs> no 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 you, like i'm That's, glad that you said it. that yeah no but i mean it comes back to the same thing science is designed to prevent like on informed opinions right mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. if, if like what you were saying like if, if you're not an expert in the field you disclose that right yeah but then you have this facebook doctors <laughs> <laughs> who like they clearly don't know the shit <laughs> <laughs> opinion, right? mm -hmm. and they base it on the oh but you don't know my experiences type thing science the funny thing about science is that it begins with an experience but then it grows into something bigger it needs to be a proven experience you can start with an hypothesis but you have oh to test God. it right yeah exactly like if i tell you that the sky is blue you gotta be able to prove it beyond your eyes that makes sense mm -hmm. right because like i mean <laughs> well maybe this is a philosophical question how do we know blue is blue it's a spectrophotometric thing. Exactly, because right? you don't look at your eyes. You look at things. You look at the light. You look at like how waves frequencies and wavelengths, and then you agree consensusly that between this range, it's this is the what we're gonna call blue. Right. That's how you know something is blue. Like the beauty about science is that it takes away, or it at least attempts to take away the senses out of it and gives it gives us a better view of the world. Right. Mm -hmm. So. I think that a lot of people confuse that with personal experience. They think that their personal and experience, personal experience is better than any science out there. And I'm, I'm not saying that your personal experience is invalid. I'm just saying that it's not the best way to say that something is true. I know. Oh my gosh. I don't know what before. Like, stop me if I have. But like, I, I think I mentioned this lady who was like, uh, like I was watching um, a TED talk of like, or not a TED talk, sorry. I was just watching like two sides go against each other, like one that's like pro-vax and the other one that's an like anti-vax. Did I mention I've seen that? that I've seen that video, I think. Yeah, and the lady was talking, and like a lady on like the anti-vax um, anti side was talking about like how like, oh, her son like developed like adverse reactions to l the vaccine. And so then she, um, she like was completely against vaccines because like, like her son got it and she doesn't want to like like have to vaccinate her son so that um everyone else is safe but the thing she did not understand is that she was literally like like the reason for why why like the reason for why like she was basically given a like giving a reason for why like people should be vaccinated it's more to protect her son like she did not under understand that like her son was like immunocompromised in that situation and so she was just like going for the opposite side yeah like vaccinations are terrible we should not do like they shouldn't be compulsory or whatever it was, it was just like an interesting thought and like none of the scientists pointed out anything too which is like it surprised me because they should have been able to catch that and like maybe they did but like they i think they were more focused on like giving their facts and yeah no but i i think that 
yeah, I mean, that's ridiculous. But just that last one you talked about, like science needs to, <laughs> I don't want to say science needs to be more political, but maybe politi uh, politics need to become more, become more scientific. So what, what I mean is that the, the beauty about politics and the reason why it's so successful is because, again, I, keep, I feel like I keep repeating, keep repeating myself, but I really believe this is true. Politics tells good stories. Mm -hmm. And that's how they convince people to do whatever the politician needs to, wants to get done. Science is good at telling facts, but it's not really great at telling stories, even though it has amazing stories to tell. If you can somehow mix the two and make sure that people understand the amazing stories that science needs to tell, then I think as a society we will be more inspired by science and we will take it more into account in our day-to-day -day lives, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or at least that's that's my point of view. I like that. I think that's a that's a probably a good a good sentiment to end on. Um, I think we could probably continue our own personal discussions afterwards, but I think this is a good place to end this for now. So, um, does anybody have any thoughts based on the sort of range of stuff we've covered today in terms of what they want to add? Any final words from everybody? I'm good. Good. Okay. Um, well, thank you to everyone who is on the pod, and uh, thank you to whoever is listening. Um, I hope you have a good morning, day, night, evening, wherever you are, and um, we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you. Bye. 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 Oh no. <laughs>